0: The recording's on. And yeah, so um just let yourself flow. I'll be here to ask questions and, and say as much or as little as you want, and I can always ask more questions to dive a little bit deeper. And um, I really yeah, I really just invite you to, to flow with it. And um Yeah, this this is a powerful experience and um I found for myself going to some of these powerful experiences that I can allow my I can allow a pressure to perform or to say the right thing or to just the nerves of, cause you're sharing something so vulnerable. I can find myself, um, being in my head for the experience mm-hmm. because it's safer in our head. We can make sense of things. We can f- make ourselves feel safe and comfortable here, but I really invite you as much as you, as you can to just take a small breath during the podcast when you need to just bring yourself back into your heart and your body like we just did. So you can, Receive the power that this experience will offer you because we can miss the juice of an experience and the lesson and the, and the transformation if we live in our head but if we're in our body more transformation happens yeah so I invite you just to drop in relax as much as you can yeah thank you um cool um anything you'd like to to mention before we really dive in here
1: I don't think so brother um, yeah just kind of yeah maybe just kind of you know from my own uh way of the way i've thought about my story it's yeah chronologically kind of starting throughout yeah. the, the start of my I'll life let, i'll let
0: you kind of take it away i know you have things you'd like to share and yeah. i'll ask questions but we'll go uh we'll go chronologically and we'll we'll share the story and it'll be beautiful yeah it'll be really beautiful um you ready yeah <clears throat> all right hey everybody welcome back to the podcast i'm happy to have you here today is a very interesting episode because it's not A normal interview that I might do and the reason it's not normal is because um, I have a friend of mine Travis here he'll be sharing his story um, some things that he hasn't shared publicly and hasn't shared with many people yet he's on this podcast so for for you today you're going to be experiencing a a very courageous man who's facing his fears and putting himself out there and and I think that we can all learn a lesson from that and be inspired at, at the courage of this But I think that's going to be one piece of value from this episode. I think another one is going to be the things that he's going to share. I know so many of you are going to be able to relate to firsthand experience with some of the things he's going to share. And so I think you're going to have an opportunity to release some shame from yourself because when we hear other people say things that we don't have the courage to say to others, but this person does, it can take shame away from us. So um, in this episode, you're going to learn about Travis's story and things that he's been through in his life. and. Just sharing the depth of the human experience and I think we can all learn something from that. Uh, So without further ado uh, Welcome Travis to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Brett Uh, I just want to take a moment to thank you for being who you are Uh, You're you're a special person to me in my life our relationship developing the way it has uh, means a lot to me and it's no mistake to me that it's you that I'm sitting here with sharing this story with today you make me feel comfortable and I appreciate you holding space the way you do for me and for others.
0: Mm, it's uh it's my one of my favorite things to do, so <laughs> it's such a pleasure. Um so yeah, let's um I I'd love to just, you know, dive right in here and um start from maybe why you want to share your story. Um we'll start with that. Yeah, what why are why are you here today? What's the purpose if you wanted to share your story?
1: Um <clears throat> down to the core of who I am, like uh, a lot of my friends would know this about me, I genuinely love to share stories. Mm. But being like we'll get into um, in the situations of of pain that I've been held in, captive by, more or less, you know, I wasn't in a place where I I could speak my truths. Um, I was living through a lot of fear. And now to be where I am today it's I'm on the other side of that And I always knew that once I would pass through The situation I was in That there was a lot of power on the other side Mm. And it was actually just waiting to burst out of me And Mm -hmm. that's essentially a big part of what this is today Mm -hmm. It's it's time Uh, I am a storyteller and I have, you know Lots I I would like to share, so I'm excited to dive into it, and yeah, I mean, I I think it's going to be, it's powerful for me, myself, in healing, although a lot of that's already occurred. A lot of what I'm here for today is so that it can find people who will benefit from it in their own healing, and also so that I can forge more genuine, uh, true relationships in my life. Mm. A lot of relationships uh, I find... Can carry out on that surface level definitely. indefinitely. Okay. Um, you know, and it doesn't really satisfy me. It doesn't really uh, quench my thirst anymore. I I want real relationships where people are truly there for you on deep, meaningful levels.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I love all those reasons for doing this, and I can definitely relate in my own journey, feeling very afraid to share things. Um, I used to be very afraid to share that I had an eating disorder. Share it, share it to say all the things i was shameful about the way that i treated people at times some of the things that i did and at the same time it's like the things that we're the most afraid of when to share when we do share them there's such a liberation and a sense of freedom and um shame only survives in silence and secrecy mm-hmm. and when we can openly share it that's when there's like a real inner transformation that happens so um I'm just grateful that uh, that you're showing that vulnerability for us and leading as uh, as an example for for your community here and um and your family so um i'd love to dive in to to you know the first part of your life i know you wanted to share your story chronologically so um perhaps you could start with um, start from the top you know
1: yeah thank you yeah i kind of want to just start from the beginning um uh maybe it gives some level of context, um, for what I'll share a bit later on. Uh, I grew up on a farm. I had two older sisters and my childhood, as I recall, was super positive. We, we had a big backyard, uh, a bunch of pets. My sisters and I would always play out in the yard. Uh, my mom would always be doing yard work. We had a pool as well. Um, and then my cousin, Rail, he lived, like, less than a mile down the road, so he would come over all the time and play with us. My grandma, Edna, was, was often there looking up, looking after us as well. And, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, uh, that's the essence of, of when I think about my childhood, I, I go back to that. And uh, we'd spend also, like, a lot of time playing Lego, me and my sisters, or playing with Barbies, admittedly. Mm. Mm -hmm. and it was it was a positive childhood Um, by the time that I was 11 however I was kind of had to transition out of childhood to some extent I was expected to begin working on the farm and uh,
0: at 11 years old yeah so you're kind of like this playful child things are like rosy and fluffy and nice and then all of a sudden 11 years old now you have to like it's time to go to work
1: yeah um probably in my dad's eyes it's more than time (laughs) Mm. I think that he probably started working on the farm when he was more like seven or eight to be honest got you so I got a couple bonus years from that perspective and uh, 11 I think I put in like only 100 hours on the farm that year and we still sometimes laugh about it took me an entire summer to paint a little cultivator red Mm. like literally yeah (laughs) I wasn't the fastest, best worker, but it was to learn that work ethic. Sure. And that was my like transition year. When I was 12, I was legitimately uh, every day of summer full days of work. So mm. more like 400 hours during my summer break.
0: Yeah. And you, are you getting paid for this work?
1: Yeah, I paid. I When I started out, the first summer I was actually employed by my grandpa Harvey. He paid me two dollars an hour and. Uh, Okay. Hopefully you got a raise since then. (laughs) I hope. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I was 12, I was 12 onwards working full time on the farm and, uh, yeah, I mean, I loved riding quads and spending time freely. And that was a little tough to be pulled away from, from childhood in that sense. But there was also a lot of benefits to working at a young age. Like I did develop a really great work work ethic that uh, does model my dad's quite a bit. I feel now, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of a lot of power and benefit to that in my I'm life. It sure.
0: um, was that one of your goals when you were younger to to be like your dad and have the work ethic that he did.
1: I'm not entirely sure that it was. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. To some extent, there's there's things you want to take and things you want to leave. Right. Mm-hmm. Still. But. Uh, yeah it's you know there's other benefits such as having your own money in your wallet but i mean i felt like i was missing out on quite a bit all my friends uptown would uh they didn't start getting jobs part-time jobs so they were like 16 so they spent all those like four or five other summers biking around together having sleepovers playing video games
0: normal summer stuff to do when you're you know 11 to 16 for the most part
1: but anyways that's just kind of some background um yeah on the farm, another benefit would have been spending time with some of the older guys, like having some great yeah. influences in my life and uh yeah namely, this'll I'm going to talk about rail later on again, but um rail, my cousin he was sixteen when I was uh eleven and first started, so yeah then him and I worked like side by side on projects like uh Everything we we mostly did tons of yard care together, and it'd just be the two of us, and we'd be talking and listening to music like crazy, and uh, yeah, get into it later. But uh, yeah, when Riel was twenty one, he ended up passing away. So yeah, I mean the time I spent with him was invaluable as well.
0: Well, and I know that a big part of the story that you're going to share today is about all the the um, deaths that you've witnessed, and Riel was obviously an important part of your life at a certain stage, and then. Later on, 21, it's like a lot of these deaths are happening prematurely. Um, now, I'd, I'd love to dive in as to, to the depth that you'd like to dive into next. So, like, coming back to the start of your story, like, was there any depth that you wanted to dive into around that age 11 or before that or after that? Or did you, are we past that stage and you want to move on?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't mind just kind of touching on <clears throat> when, uh, like, I'm grateful to, to my mom for, uh, if it wasn't really for her pushing, I don't think I would have necessarily been uh, been able to play sports during the summer because it interfered with farm timing. Okay. So when I was younger, I, I had a lot of uh, interest and passion with baseball and took it quite seriously until I decided that I would uh, ultimately play spring and summer hockey. But again, if it wasn't kind of for her pushing, then like that was totally out of the norm for uh, my dad's generation to... Gotcha. You know, go and take time away from the farm for these types of activities. There's there's work to be done. Gotcha. But those those uh, summer sports, man, they were some of the best times I've probably ever had in yeah. some ways. Yeah. Um, playing uh, summer hockey, um, I had most notably like two very good friends on my summer hockey team, Pushka and Hamlin. We would spend lots of our time together and. Uh, they were just super welcoming when i joined the team and uh yeah we spent spent like whenever we could outside of hockey having sleepovers and hanging out yeah uh, yeah i don't I don't really mean to be all like kind of sad and negative but cole is a uh, another person who was taken way too soon yes so
0: but again we'll kind of jump back into that a little bit later on and i i just want to also say that um yeah, death is death can be viewed as sad or negative, and that's obviously the energy that you may carry with it. Um, but we're also having a real conversation, and um, I want you to feel like you can say things that you might perceive as sad or negative, because I know that this audience here can definitely handle it. Because we, you know, we we go deep on these podcasts. And when I first started podcasting, it was a, I think I, I had a podcast literally I kid you not called Positively You. Okay. And so you can imagine all the positive fluffy stuff that was on that, and it was right. positive and it was nice. But since then, I've definitely tra- transitioned to a lot more depth because positivity is nice. Tony Robbins, he calls it like a warm bath. Like, it's nice, but, like, you don't really get much from it. Mm. Um, but the depth, talking about death, talking about how we really feel, talking about our fears, like, this is the stuff that we bring to this podcast because um, it really adds value to people's lives because there's such a lack of depth in society yeah. that it's nice to have a podcast you can go to where someone's willing to share this this deep stuff and go there. Yeah. Yeah. You know? um, so I'd love to start accessing that depth here with you. And um, is there a way that you'd like to share your story with, with the people that started to, to leave your life? Um, did you want to dive into that? Are you ready?
1: Uh, I think it's like it's almost kind of uh, the way I journaled about how this story comes out for me. And I think we'll just kind of circle back to loss a little bit later.
0: Okay, cool. What's next?
1: Um, still on the, just the topic of hockey a little bit. Like hockey for me... It's uh, it's an interesting like journey. I think probably for a lot of people, you know, you see so many people put so much into it, and I mean, ultimately, how many of us end up playing pro, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> that was definitely. I'm still me- in the <laughs> game, man.
0: You're just, you're, just wait. <laughs> I'm not gonna come back. <laughs> certainly, most my, people
1: don't. No, yeah, it was, uh, that was my experience with it. Is that uh, I had some some great ups, and I definitely had some some downs, and for me hockey ultimately taught me a lot about myself like self improvement um but also adversity for sure i can remember uh in grade 10 i i was super pumped i made uh i made the AAA team and uh you know it was not really that I was kind of one of the less likely people To make the team because Instead of playing double A the year prior Like so many people in Eastman had I was coming out of Bantam B And so I was still able to crack that squad Had an unbelievable season We we actually won the championship that year And then the following year I come back to that team And And then uh, I, was, I was named the captain I was voted by the team And I was made the captain But then within a month of that uh the way it all all plays out all the time is that somebody gets cut say whether it's at the WHL or the MJHL level and that cut then sends a the player down to the yeah. level below it and so we had a player coming down from from a higher level and we needed to clear up a roster spot yeah and we hadn't been doing that well we hadn't been winning games and so the coach decided to make an example of me the captain and he released me wow. which is like un- an unheard of thing to take I've never place never yeah
0: i would never when you think who's going to get cut from a team it's you'd never think the captain especially one month into the season after the captain gets named
1: yeah it was a bit of a shocker for lots of people like even other players and uh, parents yeah but i took it on the chin and moved on and truly it was meant to be Uh, It wasn't easy, but I went back to my high school team in Morris and I got to reconnect with so many uh, friends who a lot of my energy was pulled away from Morris. I was very much hanging out with my hockey friends from, you know, AAA and that. And here I was able to reconnect with lots of really great buddies, probably like partied with a lot more like local people, got to meet people from local towns way more than I would have and we won a championship we won the league championship in my grade 11 year mm-hmm. which was just an unbelievable time and uh, actually yeah we had the party at my parents' place afterwards it was a riot cool and uh and then the following year too we we won the league championship again we also won the provincial gold and i won the league's best defenseman award that year awesome so there was you know those ups and downs adversities um ultimately i did have in my own mind I wanted to play pro I wanted to try to make junior A and I made it pretty far in camps my grade 12 year and the year after uh, but yeah ultimately it didn't come to fruition and again I think that was definitely meant to be mm-hmm. if I had been in a position where I, I played pro I doubt that me and Corinne would have continued dating there just would have been other. oh wow yeah there would have been other elements at play I would have been living uh, you know, further away, I, probably with my ego at that time in my life. Yeah. You know, I would have maybe thought I was a pretty hot commodity for other women. I'm not really sure. It didn't play out. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that was definitely meant to be. Look at where I am today. I have the most incredible wife. Yeah. The most incredible two boys. Yeah. Uh, this is the path I was meant to be on.
0: Yeah, you're definitely a dad. You're oh, definitely yeah. a full-on dad, dude. And like, I mean, like, like energetically, like you, you have a dad, regardless of if you actually have kids. And, um, yeah, I've met Karine, obviously, and she's um, she's super, super wonderful, and I, I couldn't imagine you without her. I could not imagine you as, like, the douchebag hockey player, you know, you know, fucking a bunch of girls.
1: Yeah, well, that never did yeah. play out, so, yeah, I'm grateful for that. Yeah,
0: and, I mean, a lot of the guys that I that I know that go that path, they usually have challenges later on, um, and that's a general statement. Some of the guys, like, they, they, they turn out okay, but my personal relationship with uh, the hockey culture has been... It's a lot of like partying and um demoralizing women and um um a lot of um um uh, ego driven uh, um decisions with other players and actually I've actually got a pretty uh relationship with hockey because I see so much insecurity, but the insecurity isn't expressed usually in a passive way it's expressed in an active way mm. meaning it's usually taking other people down as opposed to you know being shy, which is another expression of insecurity okay yeah anyways and so um I just couldn't imagine you taking that route, but I, I find a lot of the, like the the guys that go in in the hockey culture and no judgment to them because they're in a culture they're, they're they're learning how to act in the world oftentimes I find out later in life like I've met some of the guys they'll have like drug problems alcohol problems um relationship problems and it's because they didn't learn how to actually relate to people healthy and deal with their inner stuff because so many men. In the hockey culture like you get taught if you have a feeling even if you get slashed in the in the hand or something and it fucking hurts tough it up bitch you know or pick up the pucks pussy like those are the those are things at least i heard um a lot not just towards myself but towards other players and i think it disconnects men from their heart and that's one of the the big things that i've been talking about a lot recently which is one of the reasons why i was interested to hear your story because i know that you were uh you played hockey you, you may have seen some of this culture. Because you just talked about a lot of the things you loved about hockey, like you guys won the championship. Yeah. But did you also see some of this toxic masculinity in, in, in your hockey culture that you grew up in?
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I I more, more so just had great experiences with majority of players.
0: Okay, so you had a different like experience a than of, I did then.
1: A lot of great friendships. Okay. Um, there was the odd person more probably in oh. my – some, some some junior kind of caliber, like junior A, junior uh, MMJHL. It's, like, not junior B. It's, like, middle between junior A and junior B.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, the, some Some of that where... And, like, those moments still... I still can recall them, and they still stick out to me. I remember the players. So, like, it wasn't common, but I... There was some of that, and, yeah, I mean, I think that probably the people who mistreated me have evolved and changed as well Mm. so you know not everyone's going to be mature and grown up at 20 (laughs) true so it's yeah it is part of the culture to some extent yeah probably more so as you get up in higher caliber perhaps
0: yeah i think yeah potentially that that could be true as well um so moving on now so you, you you played hockey you won the championships you're feeling great Um, But you end up um, staying with Corinne and staying um, um, in in the smaller town energy and not like, say, traveling or going and playing hockey other places. Uh, What happens next? Um, Yeah, I I ended up... Oh, man, I can remember it
1: being super challenging when you're at that like 16, 17-year-old age and you're like trying to navigate. Okay, what am I going to do with my life? And, you know, I was going to give hockey the opportunity if if hockey would have worked out i would have taken that path and when it didn't then i did a pivot and decided to to enroll in business school and uh yeah i mean i was all right i did five years of business school once you start it's hard to stop i sincerely wanted to drop out in like year three i was like yeah i'm not i'm not the most studious individual and uh i don't have a lot of patience for that (laughs) i hear you so I didn't either.
0: I dropped out a year and a half into my business degree. I'm like, I can't oh, yeah. do it. I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> I'm <no>. out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I
1: stuck with it. Your uh, your year and a half is pretty good, though. My uh, my sister Natalie, she legitimately lasted. She went to university for one week. <laughs> her uh, her husband Chris, two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Are they
0: entrepreneurs now?
1: <laughs> um, no. He oh. like my sister. Oh man, she 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 took a a path of like. I don't know, bartending, hairdressing, bunch of bunch of stuff. She's the one who's now passed. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he took a great path. He went into uh, Canadian border security and got himself, uh, you know, a great government job with pension and great pay that would have topped basically anything you could have gotten coming out of school with a degree, which is sure. kinda of hilarious.
0: I was talking to a guy recently, he's like six years or so into his business degree, and he was like, I'm like, so I'm curious because I asked, I was like, how much are you gonna earn, you know, when you get out of school? He's like, tell me like he's gonna after taxes, like like a little over two and a half grand a month, maybe, maybe. That might be oh, a yeah. good salary. And for me that's, that's like a struggle. Wow. Paying you pay like fifty thousand dollars or whatever you pay for five, six years of school and you only earn that much. To me, it was just like straight up like stealing, mm-hmm. like robbery. Oh man, I mean. Unless, unless he loves what he does, which I'm not 100% sold he does, but unless he loves what he does, to me, it's just like highway robbery.
1: Yeah. Well, there's definitely a couple elements like for why I felt the pull to like drop out. You have lost opportunity for making money. Say, uh, Say five years of school. If if a person could draw an income of say fifty thousand dollars, you know, working hard for, doing whatever, fifty grand five years, it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But instead of that, you're spending your time in school paying for school.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know,
1: and then, and then a lot of the uh, I, I'm I've been an entrepreneur at heart for many years, like since I was probably like fourteen, honestly. Mm-hmm. That inner desire where I would like grow vegetables and sell vegetables and like just try to earn a buck me and my neighbor uh, Caleb actually I had kind of meant to mention him earlier in my childhood but uh, him and I we spent so much time together and and we're wired similarly so anyways I go to business school and man there was some good courses and it pushed me to learn some things I never would have taken the time to teach myself otherwise but there was also so much fluff and you're sitting through the fluff, spending yeah. your time and energy on it, and you're frustrated with it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, in university, I. I really started to recognize the fact that I was. Generally, I was different than like ninety ninety five percent of the people in my business faculty. Yeah. I started to only seek out spending time with other fellow entrepreneurs. Uh, to me, it seemed a little bit in like funky backwards to some extent that so many people go into business school without any entrepreneurial desire at all and like entrepreneurialism yeah. is the root of business it's the yeah. core of it yeah and uh no man i mean again 90 95% of people go into business school to get a job to work for someone else mm-hmm. It was a head scratcher for me and I couldn't, I <laughs> yeah, had struggled Charlie's to relate means. with a lot of people. Like, yeah, I felt, I just felt at home with other entrepreneurs. For sure. For so. sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, for sure. The, the moment that did it in for me, I was in um, uh, an organizational behavioral uh, class and the textbook was written, I kid you not in the 1980s. Nice. And I was like okay th- like this is it that, like, that was like the final straw for me because I'm like studying online actual business right I'm watching YouTube videos of people that are doing social media marketing I'm not learning anything about social media and how to market a business in this class I'm not learning anything about how to build a personal brand you know I'm learning like bullshit like organizational behavior as if yep. I'm ever going to build a huge organization like I'm going to build a business of 10 people first and as I move up the lateral expand I don't need to learn all this shit right now no, I need is. to learn how to get clients oh you know, yeah no man. Uh, I, need learn, I need to learn how to sell. I need to learn how to write copy. These are like actual skills. Yeah. Not like <laughs> organizational behavior. It's crazy to me. Anyways, let mm-hmm. me get back to your story here, because um, this rant could take me on forever. Um, <laughs> let's get back to your story here. So you, you're you're moving on basically from um, um, from business school. You 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 um, you graduate, which is only five years ago or so. Uh
1: yeah, I'm 29. I graduated in 16. So seven years ago seven
0: years ago. okay so it's a bit longer and so what was what was your journey after that what happened
1: um well yeah thanks for asking I actually didn't anticipate to be speaking about anything I do for work on this podcast <laughs> but uh, here we are yeah um, okay well when I was in university in 2014 my father and I launched a business uh, called quality concepts building screen rooms similar kind of uh, copying what they have down in Florida there's screen rooms, like, screen rooms galore down there. Every single house has a screen room on it. And my dad fell in love with them, and he knew I wanted to start a business. So yeah. one day we were drinking beer in the hot tub in a screen room. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, Chat, like, do you want to start a business with me? Um, he said, no matter what, I'm going to buy enough aluminum material so that I can build myself a screen room at the cabin, and enough that we could build another screen room whether for ourselves or for a friend like i'm gonna buy enough material for that regardless if we're doing it as a business yeah and i said um yeah what the heck let's do it wow that business still operates today we're in our ninth year nice and so yeah I, i operated that during university yeah um yeah lots of challenges lots of ups and downs with that i'm really grateful we're in a pretty smooth smooth uh time with the business now we're not so much in like that early r&d trying to figure it all out <laughs> and I know i've sure got out. Uh, some really great people helping me uh shout out to my friend tyler who's been exceptional and it's been it's been great to be on the ride with him mm-hmm. so so there's that going on in my life and then also in 2015 i started up a business with the purest of intentions uh uh so twenty fifteen and two thousand and nine is when I had lost my cousin Rael, who was genuinely one of my best friends, and uh that had this impact on me which just even unconsciously a lot of it, you know. And uh
0: how old were you at that time?
1: When he passed I was sixteen.
0: You're sixteen how how uh how close were you two?
1: In like so close.
0: Like was he a bet like a best friend?
1: virtually like he was he was uh yeah I mean I spent all all my time in the summers with him he was like an older brother to me I didn't have like you know an actual older brother he was my older brother
0: and how much older was he than you
1: 5 years older the same age as my sister Natalie wow okay yeah wow.
0: how did you, how did he pass
1: he had a heart arrhythmia so oh, it was so crazy so one day we were at the farm um I was washing something on the, uh, on the wash pad. He comes by after he was done work at Westfield and uh, he came to, he was gonna wash his car and then share some really great news with us that day. And so anyways, he, uh, he comes and I, I help him wash his car, which was, you know, I'm thankful for even that, sharing that with him in that moment. I took the time and I helped him wash his car and then when we finish that, we go inside the workshop and we have a beer. And then I think I had one beer. Again, I'm 16. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh, man, I had so many good times with Ray. He got me in a club when I was, I'm shit you not. He got me in a club called Dylan O'Connor's when I was 14 years old. Wow. Anyways. How
0: old did you look? Did you look 14?
1: <laughs> no, I probably looked 18. Okay. But so anyways, we're having a beer and but my my buddy Matt, uh, my best friend Matt comes and picks me up. We're going to go to the movies. So off we go. And then uh, the uh, the other guys sit and they have, I think, you know, one or two more beers. They probably sat there and had had three beers. And and then they uh, that's it so rail rails going home and his dad ranel was there as well and ranel and rail live less than a quarter mile like it's like they live like 200 feet from the farm so they had to leave the farmyard go down the road 200 feet and pull into their own driveway and Rail's driving in front of his dad and uh, as they get towards the house uh rail's car continues to roll forward and uh, yeah, Ronell, I think right away he he knew something was wrong and raced out of his car to go see rail and that was it rail was gone
0: his dad, did by the time his dad got there yeah
1: man, he had a heart arrhythmia is what it was
0: what happens when that, what is that? I
1: don't know, your, your heart, I guess beats out of whack enough that it The pattern of the heartbeat is gone and I mean I don't know if maybe he had a defibrillator or something in that exact moment if something could have been if he could have been brought back I really don't know but that's ultimately that's what it was it's just like this unbelievable thing
0: did he have any issues with this in the past or was it just out of of nowhere
1: no I think that was out of nowhere man that day the news he shared with us that day was that he had just been accepted into the navy, legitimately that day? Wow, it's so interesting to think about now, like more from like almost a spiritual level. Yeah, that it's like that chapter of Rail's life was coming to an end. <clears throat> uh, he had so much like ex- he when he died, man. He died pumped, so pumped. About the prospect of you know the next chapter, mm. um, he's such a hilarious guy. He <laughs> a big part of what had him excited for the Navy was a he was looking forward to helping people, but uh, b he's like man, every day, every single day on the boat or the ship, you get two free beers. Every day. <laughs> like, that was just a huge drawing card for him. Yeah. It's like, man, you, <laughs> so funny. You, you get those two beers on the farm, too. But uh, no, he was excited to join the Navy. He'd get his two beers a day. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but I was coming back from the movies with Matt driving down the highway, and I got a phone call from my dad telling me what happened.
0: What, how'd, I, how'd you take that in?
1: It's just this, like shock, it's unbelievable, can't make sense of it. I felt like I was meant to be with Matt when I received the news. Yeah. Go to the hospital, go see Ray, our whole, whole family's there. I remember like holding his hand and saying goodbye to him and there was this big part of me that was um, delusional half expecting him to all of a sudden kind of like wake up like this is a mistake and you know there's still a chance. Yeah. Yeah. No man, it's just Ah, uh, see? That's why we're here doing this like forget fear, man. Like life is uh legitimately tomorrow's not guaranteed. Yeah. That's that's a perspective I've gained through these types of lessons. Legitimately, tomorrow was not guaranteed. Yeah. He was in the best shape of his entire life. Yeah. He had no underlying
0: conditions. Yeah. So what happened after that for you and the family? Like, how did you guys deal with that for the next few months? <sighs> what did you do to, to deal with the pain of that loss? I
1: don't know, man. I don't really know. I didn't have experience with grieving. Probably processed most of it on my own. I don't think, as a family, we probably didn't spend a lot of time like talking in depth about it. Um, I just thought, I thought about him literally every single day for at least two years. Wow. Pro- probably three years. Every single day. Wow. That. Oh yeah, man, he meant the world to me. Just try to carry him with with me and to emulate the best values about him he was he was the guy that legit would put a smile on everybody's face you know i've t- talked to you in the past about how if i'm living as my best self my i would i would kind of strike you as that like adam sandler type of figure mm-hmm. like, be like you'd be struck by me being like the person who is so like lighthearted and joking and like not not taking things too seriously like that was ray and mm. that's that's essentially it. if i was living from that heart space my best, best self not living in my mind not focused on you know work or the next task all the time but focused on the people around me and joking around like that's that's straight up ray
0: so. Sounds like a beautiful, beautiful man.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he was the only child, and his parents, they still mean a lot to me. Um,
0: still in contact with but,
1: them? Oh, yeah. But man, did they obviously have one heck of a time with that. Still man. do. I mean, there's just changes that their whole prospect of the rest of their entire life. No grandkids ever. Yeah, I. I yeah. They are my family, and uh I try to lean into my relationship with them because, well, ultimately, you know, we all need each other. Yeah. And they don't have Ray physically here anymore. So, yeah, that's a long-winded way of talking about <laughs> how and why I started my business <laughs> in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, passages was the name of it. And it was a website where uh, people could create uh, profiles for people who've passed away in order to then, it was like more, it was supposed to be the kind of more social way of online profiles for people after they've passed. Yeah. Because so many like obituary type of sites, they have like a comment section, but they they are not really, they're capturing more like condolences than they are capturing like awesome stories, and gotcha. so yeah, man, I poured my heart into this. I, it's all it's been wrapped up now. I spent oh shit, it only got the company only dissolved like two years ago. So yeah, the better part of like a full ten years wow. of energy was was spent on trying to make this thing work. And a good amount of cash. And ultimately, like, man, we had made a lot of progress. I had uh, eventually brought in a business partner, Mike St. Croix. He's an amazing friend, amazing person. And we, we really tried, man. We, we had a lot of things right. Um, just we also had other things going on later on in our life. And it was tough to... Tough to get it off the ground all the way. Yeah. We we had some. You would like this because uh, you actually kind of do something similar to this. So we had this platform, but we were struggling to monetize it. Okay. So it was just a cash burn, right? But then this is Mike's idea was to uh, he had a desire to capture video of people sharing like their life. Like, okay, it's like it's great that we're capturing. On this platform, stories from friends and family about the person after they've passed. Yeah. But the concept was, how about we sit down and get people to share stories about like their life story on video prior to when they pass. Like, mm. So we were into that, and man, we've we've collected somewhere around forty life story videos wow. that are unbelievable. Wow. Um. I'm not like one to wanna one make excuses for why something didn't work, but this idea was just kind of gaining traction decently. Yeah. When uh, COVID came around. Oh, I see. And our target market, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to interview people north of 60. The concept isn't that you have to only do this video one time either, which a lot of people didn't understand. It's like, you do it now, you have it as a just in case, your family has it if something were to happen yeah but there's nothing saying you can't do it every five years and you know but a lot of people thought about the video of being like oh if i'm doing this video it's because i think i'm gonna die it's like well (laughs) we're all gonna die (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) trying to drill it into people's heads but
0: well it's funny we i feel we don't really acknowledge death i feel like it's kind of like just like a, a concept like yeah i'm gonna die but like even just saying that it's like it doesn't hit us at the level that it probably hit hits you now after experiencing all of these. Like it's like a real right. con it's a real experience for you. Like my death is coming and I know it. Yeah. You know? It's like um it's like the saying, it's like um we all know we're gonna die but we don't live like it.
1: Mm. Yeah. I wanna live like it. Yeah man. For sure. Me too. Yeah.
0: In fact that's actually one of the things, like um it, it's it's very aligned that that um we're bringing up death on this episode because it's been super present in my reality in the last month. Okay. Not people in my lifetime, but just the idea of it has been coming back to me in all sorts of different ways. And I found that the, the idea of death seems to be the thing that cuts through all bullshit, including fears and allows me to like really take action on a new project or it allows me to make a decision to travel somewhere or allows me to like really like, whatever I really truly desire in the, in the core of my being death the idea of death seems to cut through to whatever that desire is and clears it all the bullshit excuses and reasons why I shouldn't do that. Yeah. Have you found the same thing?
1: A hundred percent. Um, I could, and want to lean into that mentality like further. Yeah. But that is, that is a huge driver of why, why I'm doing this today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I've said, uh, I posted on Facebook a couple weeks ago that I was going to do this podcast, and I was going to talk about my traumas, and I was going to talk about loss, and grief, and healing, and addiction, uh, just because it's not a can that I want to kick down the road any further, because, man, who knows how long the road is, yeah. for one. Yeah. I'd rather like start living in this truth, start living fully in everything I want to do with zero fear today, and not tomorrow. Yes like finally it's already overdue man big yes. time
0: yes I feel that and I was looking at your vision board the, the pictures in your, in your journal and I'm like I want you to live that life man I want you to go live that adventurous life that you that you so crave yeah. and um, you know find a way to do that with your family and find a way to make it work with your family and everything else because like there's this book called um, The Top 5 Regrets of the Dying by Bronnie Ware mm. um, she was a hospice nurse and spent a lot of time with People on their deathbeds, and I've chills on my body right now I' just thinking about it I get emotional because it's just it's so powerful for me. The number one regret of people on their deathbed was I regret not living a life true to myself, and I lived fake for too many years. I played small for too many years, and like I just got to a point where like i 'm fucking done with that I can't do this anymore, you know and you know, I really feel like that's when a new life begins. Yeah. I was talking with, with um, our, our mutual friend Jamie, and uh, we were like, Yeah, man, I feel like I'm like three years old or five years old. You know, chronologically, I'm like this old, mm-hmm. but really, like, I just kind of woke up to life in the mm-hmm. last five years. You know, woke up to the fact I'm going to die to actually look at my trauma and heal it, to like go through this process of growing and not just accepting what society has given me as this is the life you're going to live, yeah. but really going deep into myself and finding the life I want to create. Yeah. It's very different you know
1: nice man and when you're in that that space or that mentality as well like you're talking about feeling like you're three or five from from the point of like kind of just getting started in your life living the way you want to yeah but also when you 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 get to live more like a child when you're in this space i think yeah like yeah you're you're not going to delay on the things that that light up your like that bring joy into your life yes yes you know so you get to, to kind of like – a lot of those things that you want to do are almost driven from what you want to do as a child, I think.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, that, my God. My God, 100%. I think the more we're connected to our heart, the more we're connected to our inner child. Yeah. And like – I mean like how do kids dream when they're really young? You have kids. I'm not sure if they can say these sorts of things yet, but maybe in a couple of years they'll be like – I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a, right. a businessman, I want to be a movie star, whatever. Like kids, they don't, they don't know anything else but to dream big. Yeah. Or if they do say something like I want to be a farmer, they say it with so much confidence that you may as well be a freaking astronaut. <laughs> you know, because they're so, they have that energy about it. And that's what's missing. Now what we can see is people at some, somewhere along the line, they, they it's like a, almost like they dull themselves out. Because like, mm. society, society yep. kind of dulls oh, that out. Oh, for sure, man. Out.
1: Man, you have to stick to the grind. you got to pay your bills. You know, uh, in this world, it's it's a challenge, I think, for the majority of people. Yeah. Everything's expensive. Yeah. You're, I don't know, man. There's the cost Be- of houses are just like, have skyrocketed.
0: Dude, that, sorry to interrupt you. It's just a, that's no. such a thing I'm passionate about is I, I always hear this thing of like, I can't because I have all these like attachments like bills to pay, kids to take care yeah. of. And those are all like super real things and um that's why like for anyone who doesn't have that yet to not take the advantage to travel now, go for it. But also, I see people every day on Instagram. They have a family and they live in a little travel van and they have a, some little income online and they just yeah. go do it. Yeah. Or like, you know, like there's always like that way to go do it.
1: Yeah, I think I think yeah, you have you have to maybe be willing to get a little creative
0: yeah creativity for sure yeah <laughs> so but that's all part of the fun it's like it's just like creating it's like who who cares if you have like a huge house but you're creating you're enjoying it it's like what are we gonna do next let's make it happen and
1: yeah yeah i don't know man it's like if if, if you're tight on on money and feeling those constraints of course my mind as an entrepreneur goes to like yeah, try to navigate some type of a side hustle. Yeah. But it could be easier said than, than done. I mean... True. A lot of people aren't wired like that at all. And yeah. yeah, it's easy for a lot of fears to pop up for why, I don't know, they're not the entrepreneur. They don't see themselves that way, whatever it is.
0: Yeah. No, you, you, you make an amazing point and And um, it's pretty naive of me to say that, you know, just go do it. Yet, I also believe there's truth to it. I just I just know that... Even if some people aren't naturally, like, wired in a certain way, we can learn skills that are high income. You can learn high income skills. You can study. You can grow. But, I mean, there's, like, even if somebody just has enough shame in their body or if they have enough um, unworthiness, they don't believe they can do it anyways. So that's why I think, like, to start, we all have to, like, take some sort of, like, therapy process. Like, really, like, go deep into ourselves because if we don't, then what's going to keep running in our life is the default and we're never actually gonna get to our core it's just like like you said you are gonna keep kind of kicking that can down the road yeah and then there's gonna be that really painful moment. I don't know when it's gonna be but it's gonna be sometime in your life and I hope it's not until your death, but you realize that you're living somebody else's life yeah and not yours yeah and that's and that 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 to me is the thing I, I want people to avoid the most there's few things that drive me to help mm. people as much as them avoiding that moment okay yeah nice. because that that one eats at us man you know Anyway, I'm getting inspired here with that. Yeah, I like it. I love it. <laughs> um, some good rabbit holes here. Yes, yeah, so, so many I mean the things you're talking about are so deep that of course there's going to be just endless ways we can go yeah. about this. Um so uh, you're getting over this this death. Now this wasn't the only um, passing that you had in your life. There was more that came after this. Did they did they add to one another or did you feel like why me? Like, why is all this shit happening around me? Like, what were kind of the things that went through your head as you hmm. started to continue? And what did end up happening? Um,
1: well, some of my first experiences with death were... Um, yeah, I mean, Rail shook my world. But before that, the first times I had experienced death at all would have been... Uh, I had mentioned my neighbor Caleb earlier not as much as I had wanted to because yeah, my early childhood was spent kind of, yeah, with my sisters and my cousin Ray as I was a little bit older and they became teenagers and uh, I became a little more independent. Caleb and I, we lived like half mile from one another, same age and we just ripped on quads and uh, snowmobiles like steady all the time after school summers until work came into play. Uh, and, and and building forts So anyways
2: <laughs>
1: uh, Caleb had a younger brother, Graham And uh, Graham would just come follow us around everywhere Basically, all the time
2: mm.
1: Well, Graham passed um, Geez, I think he was eight And me and Caleb uh, Sorry, I'm just trying to get this right yeah, me and Caleb were 14 years old.
0: It was a quatting accident. Yeah.
1: Oof. So that that was one of the first experiences. Uh, another, like that was, yeah, that's was crazy. I cared for Graham, but uh, he's not your best friend per se or your sister. You know, it has an impact. But anyway, another early experience too was... Uh, Dustin Hickey Who So when I went to uh, Daycare Prior to kindergarten And also Sometimes like I think after schools And and such Was at the Hickey household And Shayla's my age Dustin's uh, two years older Two or three years older And Oh man He was Again it's Sometimes there seems to be a theme With those who are taken Too young because rail shared this in common graham dustin genuinely they were all that type of energy they're just amazing people to be around yeah but dustin he got like a very rare form of cancer when he was like 14 or 15 and s- succumbed to it when he was 16 years old and i mean yeah i t- spent tons of time with dustin especially in my earlier years
0: this is like 2005 and 2007. Another person passes, and then when was the When was the next person that passed?
1: Um, another experience I had with death was my my uh, what do you say? What's biological grandfather Rick McDougal. Okay. So my mother was adopted. This was her actual father, who ended up. You know, I guess she reconnected with him. Uh, and he wasn't like a super close figure in my life, but this had a big impact on my mom for sure. And we, uh, we went out to visit him. Uh, he was 60 and he was super active, uh, curling baseball. I think he had just retired not too long ago.
0: It's pretty healthy generally.
1: Yeah. Big garden, had a beautiful garden out in Salmon Arm, BC. Anyway, one day he's connecting uh, a hose coupler. He's just putting a garden hose together. Yeah. Snaps his collarbone. Oh.
2: Like,
1: holy smokes. Goes to the doctor. Gets checked out. Full of cancer. Wow. Uh, I think he lived two months after that, or he was diagnosed to, to have up to two months. So we went out there and spent time with him. So that's when I was I was 11. When Dustin passed, I was 12. When Graham passed, I was 14. Um. Yeah, man. Uh, crazy. And then there was... Rael, I was 16, which was, which was a huge one for me. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. We all have our different experiences with death and how that impacts our life. But, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Like, uh, I've had definitely, I guess, by the age of 29 think maybe more than an average person to some extent or maybe yep. i'm just comparing to my wife corinne hasn't been subjected to a lot of it yet in her life
0: i feel like i haven't either i think you have definitely had it more than average yeah you know uh, i think i might have had uh the death of my two grandfathers um but generally like there's been a couple people that i've Oh, uh, well, yeah. one person that I knew I played volleyball with he passed mm. um, which is just more just like I wasn't super close with him um but it's just, just like weird like seeing him at volleyball all the time and then just like one day, he's just gone like yeah it's like almost kind of confusing experience for sure um so what do you feel like this has taught you like because what I've learned is that you know, not that any of these things should have happened, or that they were good, but I've learned that there's always lessons and blessings in all these things in our lives, and it doesn't always appear uh, that it looks that way. And I'm sure that you would love to have another conversation, maybe with some of these people. And um, but what what have you learned from these experiences, and what has it taught you about life?
1: Yeah, I mean, the one thing we've touched on already, the truly believing that tomorrow is not a guarantee yeah
0: and and not even like believing because belief implies there's like some effort to think it it's like it's a literal fact
1: yeah it's just it's just life
0: yeah yeah that
1: is life you know that is life uh, there's a chance I don't wake up tomorrow or there's a chance of a car crash there's whatever it's a very possible thing that could occur
0: do you fear death?
1: I do not fear death. I don't. It's maybe easy to say that, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think I. I really have. In fact, my wife. <laughs> she has me. She's trying to keep me. Uh, grounded, from doing crazy stuff, because we have young boys, <laughs> and I have like an inner desire to do some. Some adrenaline-based activities. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, I want to talk about manifesting later on. Yeah. But, like, I'm going to manifest the life I want. I'm currently living it already, but, like, I, I have my eyes set on a bunch of stuff I want to do. Expand
0: to the next level. Nothing else. And it's going to be,
1: like, hang gliding. Yeah. There's going to be, like, I'm going to have my own hang glider. Nice. And my own license. Awesome. I'm going to do more skydiving, and I'm going to do squirrel suiting. Wow, you're down to
0: squirrel suit, you crazy motherfucker!
1: You know how squirrel suiting started, man? It wasn't wow. it looks uh, like a scary sport now? Yeah. The way you see videos, but the way it was started out was these suits. You start on the top of a mountain, and you f- you start flying, and you fly to the next mountaintop. Now the sports div- it's like evolved to where it's called proximity flying. And you're, now people are ripping at like 120 mile an hour between trees and rocks and stuff, which is obviously very dangerous. But you don't have to fly like that. You can fly out in the open air and you have a parachute on. Like, that's it's so about cool. as dangerous as you make it,
0: I think. That's for sure. I mean, honestly, it sounds so cool to fly in between trees and rocks. Like, that's probably such a wild ride, but I could never do it. Yeah, those, those I, people I that won't. are
1: doing that is that's next level. Like, you know, but I think you don't have to do that at all. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. For so, sure. Um so I'm I'm curious to know, I feel like I I kinda have to ask this. It's like what's something that you would regret not doing if you passed, say, in a year? What would you regret? What change would you regret not making in your in yourself or in your life?
1: Um well I'm I'm yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm doing this today. Yes. This is a big one for me. Yes. I I no want long, no longer want to like live as a pretender. Yes.
0: Meaning how have you pretended in the past?
1: Oh, well yeah, we'll get into uh we can talk about some some challenges I've had with my hair and how can You uh, talk right now? May as well. Yeah, or sorry, but what, what was your what was your, what was some it, things I would what regret? What would you
0: what would you regret not not doing?
1: Yeah. Um yeah, getting this off is a huge one. Other things I would regret not doing? man, this is the biggest one because this then opens the door for me to have way more real relationships and people hopefully can feel, my friends can feel really comfortable coming to talk to me about anything. Like that, that's the biggest one. Yeah. As far as like activities I want to accomplish, places I want to see, there's not like something that sticks out to me. I want to try to do everything in stride. Yeah. Uh, I like it's, I just want to uh, have a lot of quality time with people, namely my wife and my boys, which I do a pretty good job of. I just want to be very mindful of my life because I'm a fairly hard worker. I mentioned kind of getting that work ethic from my dad, and uh, I want to keep my priorities in check and make sure I spend a lot of quality time with my family.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I I think you're very much living in line with that, and um, I remember... um, Steve Jobs had a really great question he would ask himself. He would look in the mirror and he'd ask himself this every morning. He'd be like, if this is my last day alive, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And he said, if the answer was no for too many days in a row, mm-hmm. then he knew he had to change something. And that was like his metric of like, am I living my life aligned? Is using death as like, "If I, would I want to do exactly what I'm about to do today if this is my last day? And if the answer was no for too many days in a row... And he would change. And I thought that was pretty cool. Because it's like, we could all have like one, you know, a few off days, like it's whatever. Yeah. You know, not every day is going to be perfect. But it's like if it's getting consistently, like this is not the life I want to be living every day, then I know I need to make some changes. Yeah. I think that's a really good metric. I think so too. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd love to dive into um, more of your story here, specifically around some of the things that you may have carried some shame around. Yeah. And the reasons because we're going to wrap up here in about 20 to 30 minutes. And so I'd love to make sure we can dive into some of the really important stuff. Yeah. Um, so.
1: Yeah, this is a doozy. I'll just jump right into it. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. So starting at like age 14, 15, I, I was aware of the fact that like my hairline was beginning to recede. And uh, I mean, that's less than ideal by 15, 16, it was becoming like prominent like yes yeah. unmistakable uh even beginning to be that way in the eyes of some others yes
0: um did anybody mention it to you did anybody Oh yeah, criticize was, you for it
1: there was definitely a handful of moments where people would comment or something
0: yeah were they were they like hurtful comments specifically or they would just like comment on it like like it was meaningless to them it
1: was just like more their awareness commenting like oh like you're going to be bald gotcha yeah some of those uh it's like oh shit. It's like you're right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean going bald is doesn't have to be a big deal, I don't think. It's I mean 65 to 70% of all men in the world experience male pattern baldness. So it's not uncommon, but what was probably the most uncommon thing about it is that it was happening to me while I wasn't still in high school.
0: Pretty early in your life, yeah.
1: Like so that was that was the trickiest part, I think. The insecurities around that, if it had been happening to me in my like late twenties, yeah. Probably would be a whole different story or I honestly it probably wouldn't be a story on this podcast at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but here it is and it had a it's yeah, it was this was the hardest thing I've ever gone through like
0: including the death including everything
1: well those losing people is like different okay this ha- this happened to me to me and my body okay another person passing away that affects me but it happened to them right I don't know if that kind of makes sense yeah, it well. yeah it's, it's
0: different different pain, like, of course
1: I guess. It, yeah this was like every day I had to live with this right and uh, so anyways uh, I was like 16, I was stressing about it. I can remember laying in bed at night, um, awake, stressing about it, and I could actually feel this sensation of like this tingling, weird sensation of where my hair was falling out. Yeah. And that's like the a terrible feeling. Okay. I imagine that other people must also have felt that feeling because... There's no way that's unique to me. Like you can literally feel where your, how your hair is falling out. Wow. Anyway, I was like, man i I need to figure something out. Like, so.
0: What What, what did you see? What, what did you say to yourself when you looked in the mirror? You know, what did you feel?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Just those feelings of insecurity, wanting to, not wanting it to happen. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, I. Eventually confided in my mother and uh, turned to her for some help. I'm like, I need to try to find you know, some type of remedy for this issue. And she helped me searching online for different options that were available. We got like, I don't know if they're like topical cream or like some oils or something that yeah, every night you're supposed to put these oils on your hairline.
0: Yeah, you try all the different remedies. You're trying to make, make make a change.
1: Yeah, we tried that one and it was like... This messy thing every night. Now you're up like a bunch of oil in your scalp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh did it work? No, and it wasn't working. So eventually, after like maybe six months of that, it's like this, this is a joke. It's not mm. working. Yeah. Forget about this. You got to figure out something that's actually going to help because the stress is only building.
0: So you're having anxiety every night or most nights?
1: Yeah, probably most.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh I mean, I remember another option that we like was out there that we looked at. We didn't proceed with it but it was like this hat that has light uv light or whatever it is you're supposed to wear this hat for like 30 minutes every day of your life in perpetuity oh wow if you stop wearing the hat i'm pretty sure the hair falls out so it's like that's not really a a, sustainable solution yeah exactly i hear you so i you know became evident the only legit option that existed was a hair transplant yeah Like that's something that I could imagine like actually working, you know And so yeah Ended up Getting to the point of being you know serious enough about it being like, okay like The follow-through was there met with um, With uh, Whatever One of the places in winnipeg about it and the guy was very apprehensive because I was a minor he had never operated on a minor before. I was like, "Man, I I need help." It's mm-hmm. like, you know, and he did me a solid and kind of did it. Anyways, um so yeah, we got it done. Did it work? Uh
0: how does it work like how does your hair go back? How fast does it grow back? Like wh-
1: it's a whole process. I'll get there in one second. Okay. So, for that procedure though, it was during harvest time on the farm. And at this time in my life, I didn't feel, I guess, comfortable enough to discuss these issues with my dad. Yes. And so my mom and I arranged this to take place without his knowledge. And we made an excuse for why I had to miss part of the day, the majority of the day, to go get a tooth pulled. Yeah. (laughs) I had to go get a wisdom tooth pulled was the excuse.
0: Yeah. And your mom was cool lying to your dad about it? Because she knew how much it affected you?
1: Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, cool. Uh, I don't think it was, like, ideal from anyone's perspective, but it was the nature of the beast. Cool. I get the surgery, and it's pretty invasive. It's, like, pretty big incision in your head. And I shit you not, man. I was back on the tractor the second we got back from that.
0: Really? Oh, yeah. Like, through a surgery in your fucking head?
1: Like... Jesus. It's tough because if you just got a tooth pulled, you should be able to go back on the tractor.
0: Right, so you had to play that story out to your dad. Oh,
1: yeah. No, I had a major surgery and was back on the tractor See. later on that day.
0: And it's probably not advisable by the, by the guy that did the surgery.
1: Oh, no, I'm pretty sure some decent recovery time is, is advised.
0: So you're basically in a way like risking your body's health uh, so that you... I, don't Maybe like you, it's I wasn't like, feeling too good. Like you're back on the but tractor I, I, then. I battled through it. That's what I'm saying. You battled through it so that you were still perceived by a certain way from your dad. Yeah. Right? So tell us about that. Like, why was it so difficult for for you to tell us to him?
1: Um. I guess just the nature of. We typically wouldn't have had like, we wouldn't have talked about emotions or, things of that nature ever. Probably. It
0: looks like you just wouldn't understand why you'd want a hair transplant or why you would be upset about it. Or-
1: yeah, I, man. I don't know why. In hindsight, I, I wish I would have talked to him about it. Okay. Um, I think that with his advice and his understanding, uh, actually uh, the situation could have played out a lot differently.
2: Okay.
1: I had gone to my mom and my mom and my, my mom and my dad got together when they were quite young, like, I don't know if like late teens or very early 20s. I think they had my sis- sister, Natalie. When they were like 23. I think they were together in like 20, 21. Okay. A- anyways, my mom saw my dad struggle with hair loss. Like he went through it. And uh, him and my, my grandpa lost their hair young. Like it was, mm. I knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, since she had seen him struggle with it, that's a big part of why she felt so strongly that she wanted to help me not go through that same pain. Mm-hmm. But now the whole process led to way more pain. Losing my hair would have been way simpler. Yeah, way simpler, because I had the procedure, and then it's like this healing period. So I went from being this kid who would love crazy, spiky hair to, uh, to a kid who had to wear his hair down and keep a hat on like all the time, because your hairline's like yeah, healing, it's really red. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, and all yeah. that it takes okay. like many months to get to looking normal at all. So like, you
0: were in a hat for like better months. part of a year. Okay.
1: Plus you have a scar in the back as yep. well. Now you gotta keep your hair like longer. Yeah. So that but then it ended up at some point I gained some confidence back. It got better after the heating period a bit and got yeah. a bit better. Yeah. But unfortunately, uh some of my other hair Started to pull back a little bit more too And it kind of the whole situation got thinner and thinner Okay To where To where it got way worse This is where I wish I had This this is leading into like the darkest period of my entire life Wow Because Now I had created a mess for myself Now I had this Poor hairline situation going on Where uh, I had already made a decision and I was already far enough down this path that I regretted terribly. I wish I had just let myself go bald in hindsight. I was like, yeah, you know, it happens to everybody, and I would have been a good looking bald guy. Yeah, yeah. but I couldn't see that when I was 16, 17. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, I was in a, I was in a, I was so insecure about it. Yes. had my hat on all the time. I would legitimately be like, uh, worried If there was high winds And like Oh what if my hat blows off And my hair blows And like people yeah. I was so worried about being like Exposed for it Yeah Yeah It's crazy And so I felt very alone I Yeah Didn't share this with absolutely Anybody at all Yeah Except your mom right Even at this point I was keeping this all to myself again
0: Like all the emotion about how you felt All of it Yeah All to myself Yeah
1: And then Oh wow. It just finally after years it did get to a point in time where i was like something has to be done i was becoming depressed i was getting to the point where i was having suicidal thoughts it was yeah it's the only period of my life where i've i've had those types of thoughts yeah and so yeah eventually I went back to my mom and sat down and I told her uh, about the challenges I was having. And I was like, I need some help. I need to navigate out of this situation. And I felt, I was feeling totally paralyzed by the situation. Um, and, you know, this is where I, I want to, I'm apprehensive about even sharing this part of the story because I don't want to shine a a poor light on my mother at all, but... Do you love your mother? Yes, very much.
0: Then you just say what you need to say because that's not going to change.
1: I think what happened is that she became paralyzed by the situation. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, she has her own stuff going on in her life too. Her own challenges, I'm sure, which... You know, hopefully, moving like hopefully, she feels that she can share more of that with me because I think, as parents, you don't feel that you can open up to your children about your issues at all. But I know that they went through lots of their own issues. My parents. Anyways, now there's two of us in a state of paralysis. No headway is being made. Um, things are pretty bad for me.
0: Emotionally, like you're feeling depressed, suicidal thoughts at yeah, times.
1: Yeah, not pretty. Worthless worthless yeah and then um it led ultimately to a panic attack i had i had a panic attack it's crazy uh yeah i was in bed one night with all these thoughts stirring all these worst case scenarios you know yeah and follow panic attack which led me to calling my girlfriend corinne and she came over she was there in under 10 minutes comforting me listening to me supporting me and from that moment on I like she was always in my corner but it's like from that moment on I truly had felt like I truly had someone back in my corner and she was there beside me for that and uh, and then from there yeah we navigated up a path forward eventually where I was like, okay, I got out of the state of paralysis mm-hmm. and into a state of action. Nice. Where I began doing some research, looking into my options, reversing what had been done was not an option. That's one thing I looked into. Like, could I just take out what had been done and let myself go bald? But yeah, no, it no. wasn't a realistic option. So the only other option really was to find a firm, because of the Winnipeg firm who did the initial procedure. It was a bit of a hack job. Like a you know, it doesn't help your confidence when you get a shit hair transplant. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it actually makes it way worse. Yeah. But we I found this place in Vancouver that had these uh, my cat's scratching the carpet. had the great reviews and it was like world class. A place is called Hassan and Wong. Okay. So, yeah, I got in touch with them, got the information that was needed, booked a, booked a time, booked flights, and then me and Corinne, sorry, everybody, going to scare my cat away from scratching so, um, <laughs>
0: That cat's reckless. Everyone listens to me like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> I love that cat, though.
1: You were saying. So, yeah, went to Hassan and Wong, Corinne came with me, and... The doctor was so reassuring. He's like, he's like, don't worry, man. He's like, we're gonna have you looking like a rock star. Mm. And uh, yeah, sure as shit, uh, I feel fantastic about my hair. Yes. Woo! <laughs> <And laughs> yeah, they they
0: nailed it, and uh, so it looks yeah, looks great now. I've only ever known you since you've had a full head of hair, and your hair is great, dude. Like, thank you. Fantastic. Yeah, I had that okay. procedure when I was
1: twenty-four. Yeah, by, yeah. By twenty-five. I was, like, healed. Yeah. So the whole journey was from the age 15 to 25 until yeah. I was finally on the other
0: side of the darkness. Yes. And the anxiety and the insecurity. Yes. Dude, I'm so fucking proud of you for getting through that. Like, I'm, 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 happy, I'm happy that you got through that, actually, is what I really feel for that. Um, and it's interesting. Even though, like, physically, like, you were healed, you got through the anxiety of the darkness, how long until you emotionally healed? Mm. because even now like you're in the last year you're just kind of opening up about all of this yeah which means there's still some shame there for the past four or five years about the whole situation which is normal because it it lasted so long and there was such feelings of worthlessness involved that like we don't really feel called to share that especially if there's no readily available space outside of like I'm sure you told your wife but outside of her you know so when do you think that healing has occurred emotionally and and how how are your confidence levels today
1: yeah, had happened, I think, in, in small steps, increments. Yeah. Uh, bef- before Vancouver took place, um, Corinne and I and my parents sat down and I came clean with my dad about all of it. And he was very accepting and understanding. And that was a huge weight off.
0: Yeah. Huge weight off. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you built this story up in your head where you thought your dad would like belittle you or something or like be really upset with you. Dude,
1: I'm not even sure. Yeah. It just... I just don't think it was the nature of our relationship to go deep into feelings, gotcha to simplify it, like I don't really know why I think there's no reason why I shouldn't trust him. he's the person who's basically supported me the most of anybody in my entire life. Yes, so it's probably illogical and unreasonable that I wouldn't have gone to him yeah. i I don't know how to explain it even
0: i I understand i mean to like to be totally to to be totally blunt with you. I feel like what's really likely is that you actually didn't trust him fully with your emotions because he didn't express his right. when you were growing up, and so it was just like it felt really unsafe to express your emotions in front of him and he might have actually like he, there's probably experiences in your life where you may have lost love from him when you expressed your emotions and you had to kind of potentially like suck it up a lot or like maybe not sure that side that that would be my guess just based just on kind of harden up maybe like growing up on the farm like you're working at eleven years old, man like that's crazy um I was working at When I was, like, 15 or 16, I got a job at Zoe's pushing carts, which is hard work, but I'm 16 or 15. I hated it. But, I mean, growing up a farm when you're, like, 11 years old, that's, like, hard work, man, you know? So, um, for me, it was likely because if if you have a dad who's, like, super vulnerable and open about his emotions growing up, you feel comfortable to go to him with anything. You can trust him with any emotion that you go through. Yeah. So, which means there's probably, like, a lack of depth there with your father, not to blame him because – and imagine meeting your grandfather there was a similar situation oh yeah you know oh yeah but yeah, I just wanted to point that out that that might have been one of the reasons you call it irrational but I think it's like pretty normal right. based on that relationship
1: yeah yeah and it's been it's been uh, an interesting journey I've seen my parents uh, go through a lot of hardship yeah you know they lost Rael too they lost my grandpa too yeah um, my mom lost her mom by as well and they lost natalie as well all of these experiences undoubtedly have softened him uh and made him less of the just like kind of like work mode man he's yeah he's a beautiful human being yeah um but yeah the, and he also howie howie was that one rocked my dad's world a lot as well as one of his best friends yeah um anyway i've seen the development and evolution of my parents as well so yeah i mean maybe he's not the same person he was when i was struggling with this when i was 15 you're right like it's easier now to talk to him for a variety of reasons probably
0: yeah yeah for sure sure
1: but yeah back to my healing process um it just helped happen in small steps, finally, like, probably. Uh, so this happened in 2000, or 2000, shit. No, oh, I was 24 years old when I had the second. Probably when I was, like, 27, I finally had the balls to tell, like, my best friend, Matt, about it. He, you know, and then, super slowly, just one friend every. Six months. Like <laughs> yes. one of the next ones yes. was uh Jamie and Steph. Yeah. I when I told them I was just <clears throat> I was crying. But ever since sharing with them it's become easier and I've been the frequency with which I share it with friends has increased a bit. Yeah. And uh it's been great. I've been I've been uh talking out some things with you and just just feeling healed probably on multiple fronts I I don't I know that we shouldn't go for a crazy amount longer but I don't want to bypass the conversation about uh, the grief I felt with losing my sister as well because that all plays into this healing process okay because that was only two years ago when I was 27 that I lost her yes and uh, so that could have it's possible I could have been sharing more of this sooner Yeah, but I think I had a full relapse of healing.
0: Yeah, in my life, it was unexpected. Like what? Yeah.
1: Uh, Actually, so I was when I was twenty seven. I had have had this relationship with weed that dates back to when I started university. My my first ever time smoking weed would have been like the occasional high school party, grade twelve. 11 very infrequently yeah it started to be around more become more common in my friend circle whatever yeah university that frequency increases greatly and becomes more of like a habit with our friends and uh and so i lived with buddies for five years straight and had this habit where you know you'd smoke and you would con- like connect, you'd be spending that time together Talking, talk about everything Well, almost everything Yeah, yeah. the deepest, scariest really stuff, deep stuff yeah. but Talk about lots of things And after university My relationship with weed carried forth Now I can look back and have a better understanding Of, of what How come, maybe I th- It would be like I would be Smoking more by myself or you know, instead of like with people, the habit continued, and I think that in large part, there was a part of me that I wasn't aware of then, but I'm aware of now, who was desiring that same connection, yeah, of being with those friends, yeah, or something. I mean, there's other benefits. there's like therapeutic benefits, there's muscle relaxation, there's letting your mind go have interesting synapses and thoughts. Sure. But the habit itself was there, I think, from a root cause of that connection and desiring yeah. connection. Yeah. So anyways, fast forward now, 27 years old, this habit's been kicking around in my life and I knew inside of myself, it wasn't fully aligned Yeah. and not something I wanted to continue doing for the rest of my life. So I, sh- I shit you not, man the week before Natalie's passing i i had made myself the intention of quitting weed yeah. i had quit for one week yeah she passed away and let me tell you weed came in full force yeah holy smokes man yeah that was my coping mechanism 100% yeah When, uh, I don't want to be like a sympathy, sympathy case or something, but when she passed away, I felt I had my wife and all of her support, which is, I can never say enough good things about Corinne and how much I love her. Yes. She's my rock through and through. But aside from her, I felt very little support. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I felt a lot of support from my family, from Alberta. Hmm. My auntie Shelley, Uncle Norm, yeah, my cousins Lindsay Blair and Cam. They were here right after the passing for a full two weeks, and their support was exceptional, and I'm extremely grateful for it still to this day. But man, outside of that, largely, it was a feeling of loneliness my parents had a house full of probably like at least a 100 bouquets of flowers like you go there and you could tell that there was you could feel like they were supported just Mm -hmm. visually yeah and here I had received one bouquet of flowers and it was from Corinne's mom and I'm still grateful for that bouquet to this day yeah I think, as a general rule, none of my friends knew how to handle it and approach it and how to support me. And so I I ended up just smoking up and processing this shit on my own. Yeah. I'd smoke every single day. Yeah. And just think about my sister and talk about my sister with Corinne. Yeah. Like, it, again, it had gone from, like, I knew this wasn't the best thing in my life. I was... Ready, ready to, to, to do quit. away with it. Yeah. I was stepping into my higher power, man. I was, like, exercising. I was focused on all the right things. This came and just rocked me. Yeah. And uh, for, like, 16, 18 months from that moment on, I just smoked like a chimney. Like, yeah. It was So that's where I wanted to touch on addiction because I know that a lot of people struggle with different things. Yeah, for sure. And I'm really... Grateful that now I'm on the other side of this thing. Yeah, I feel really good I feel healed about the grief of my sister. Like do I miss her? Do I wish she was gonna be in my future of my life? Absolutely. Yeah, but me as a as my own person I'm feeling really good and You know, I've been able to step away from from having marijuana in my life and Wow, is that powerful? Yeah, when I would smoke weed I would look at myself in the mirror and I would not be pleased with who I saw. See this guy with like red eyes. Yeah. And be like, man, be like that's just not good enough. If I look at the same person in the mirror when I have clear eyes, I look at myself with such a high degree of confidence that I can take on the world. Yeah. It's a crazy discrepancy.
0: Huge difference. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: It gets it was not serving me. It might have Helped me process some of my grief, though. Yeah. Like I'm not saying it wasn't uh, beneficial at all. Yeah. But yeah, I just uh, a comment for me to maybe add to that is like I'm I have no judgment for anybody who still is actively smoking weed or has a vice in their life. I think it's just mm-hmm. useful to ask yourself and be real with yourself about you know is this serving me? Yes. And a big fear that I had attached to weed—it's a dirty habit. I was worried about my future health like a lot. I was like, if I keep this up, I'm cutting my life short, and I know it. Yeah. You know, whether it's vaping or smoking or, boozing or, you know, cocaine or, weed. Whatever's got you, uh, kind of got a hold of you, it's, it's worth asking yourself the tough questions and. Definitely. It's, For me quitting weed because I've done it twice now I did May 31 days without weed and then I've started from August onwards and my intention here is like a minimum of three months before I even try it one more time because I know I'll have moments say on a fishing trip or whenever the moment's right with somebody and they have a joint or whatever I will smoke it again in my life but I need to take this three months at a minimum But for me, with weed, the first like three, four days is the hard part. Mm. You feel uncomfortable because your body, your muscle memory is so used to the habit. Honestly, once you get past that hump, I have no urges, man. I have, after
0: that, it just became so smooth. Yeah, it becomes normal. Yeah. Yeah. You know why you're doing it. Yes. I think that's an important piece is like you said ask the tough questions like you, you weren't you said, you said you weren't smoking weed that much <clears throat> for any reason because you were dealing with grief even before with your friends when you first started it was to feel a feeling of connection which we can feel all these things and do all these things without whatever the addiction is mm-hmm. and I definitely encourage everybody to ask those tough questions um, for me I, I overate food because I felt for a few different reasons but because I felt um not good enough I felt not good enough and I wanted to escape the feeling of feeling so much shame and guilt that I I ate my feelings I I ate them because I didn't want to feel them because it it hurt so much Um, and so that's what I use food to cover up with Um, coffee I think I use to cover up um, feelings of um, stagnation nothing like I'm progressing in my life and I would use coffee I'd get this nice up I'd feel good again I would go into do a bunch of work, I'd feel great. But I just realized they're, they're all just like, so many of these addictions, like, it, all addictions are really about a lack of love at a core. just mm-hmm. we don't, we don't love ourselves like this, we don't love ourselves in this situation and so we, we cover up the emotion as opposed to feeling it with some sort of substance or behavior that makes us feel something that we consider is better. But you asked an amazing question which is does it really serve you? Does it really serve us? And inevitably it almost never does. You know, um, at the same time I think it's important that we don't judge ourselves you know like I judge myself so long even once I became aware that it was an addiction mm-hmm. I judge myself for having it but I never saw anything that the times where, the moments when I actually healed these sorts of things is when I removed all judgment whether I did the habit or not whether I ate the food or not whether I smoked weed or drank coffee or not right when I removed the judgment that's when the real healing started to take place
1: right yeah and I think that can be a little challenging at times like if if you if you're like kind of aware of the fact that you say want to quit smoking weed yeah but then you still smoke some weed yeah and then you feel bad about smoking the weed yeah, yeah that's that's tricky man it's like if i know we've talked about it and you and i it's like if you're going to smoke the weed
0: allow yourself to enjoy it enjoy it yeah there's yeah. no sense smoking and then stressing about the fact that you smoked the whole time <laughs> yes that's just like um unintelligence in my opinion i understand why we do it but it's just like you're losing <laughs> yeah. you know you're doing what you you know you're not even enjoying it you know yeah. um yeah i could go on about that for sure um yeah. with no judgment for anyone who does that i used to do it too but um i'd love to to end off this podcast travis if you could maybe give anyone who's listening just some advice or like what you, from your story, what you've been through, and I'm sure you didn't say every little detail that you wanted to today, but I feel like you got a lot of it out. Yeah. Um, out of your story, what you hope people take take home with them. Mm. Slash, what's one piece of advice you would give them? Like, kind of in the same energy there. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a,
1: a big part of why I feel I wanted to do this. Because this could be viewed... Uh, by some is like oversharing I I could have continued to keep uh, moving forward with my life With hair with everyone thinking You know nothing about it. Yeah, it's like it could be viewed as an overshare, but it to me it feels necessary because I think it's probably very easy to look at a lot of people myself included and think you know that person has like a really good life, you know, no issues. Um, but I, I truly believe we all have things that we struggle with at one point or another. Yeah. And yeah, for myself, I, I just I knew that I had a lot that I can con- contribute to the topic of mental health, and I was tired of sitting on the sidelines. Um, and I would just say try to show up for your friends in a very real way Mm. ask them how they're actually doing like don't be don't be afraid to to go there with somebody yeah and don't be afraid to open up to some of your close friends about your own stuff as well because that is 100 percent where the healing will take place
0: sure every time i shared i felt that much better beautiful advice I really hope you guys take him up on that um, thank you Travis for your courage today well, thank you man that's what I see I admire uh, you a lot I appreciate that and I admire you too I mean um, mainly because of not just because you being a father that's the thing that comes to me the most when I think about you but and how much you provide for them but today your courage you know I've been watching it out of your comfort zone a lot in the last um, three months or so and I feel like you kind of want to swing this last like Month where you're like really kind of getting yourself out there, and that is like to me just the coolest thing, like totally the change I want to see in the world, totally the way I want to see um, men behaving, like putting themselves out there and opening up about how they feel because it it takes shame away from the rest of us men. Yeah, and so um and I think that's just a beautiful change to have. So um, I respect you immensely. For Thanks, man. Yeah, uh, thank you everybody for watching. Uh, I appreciate your your attention, and I really hope that that this was valuable for you and that, that um, Travis's courage and vulnerability could rub off on you and maybe inspire you to ask a family member, you know, how are you really doing? Or uh, inspire you to, to reach out to a friend and, and, and share something with them if you're going through something. Um, and as always, you can, you can reach out to me if you need any support. Um, I'm here to serve. And I um, yeah, thank everybody for watching and we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs> Good
2: job, brother. Oh, thanks, man. Bring it
1: <sighs> you left it all out there, man. Yeah, dude. You left it on the floor. That felt so good and so natural. Did that?
0: You. Yeah, I felt really. You you looked very very natural. There.